You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. We have the right to complain, and some of us take it one step further. We think we have an obligation to complain. But sadly, complaining and murmuring can lead to quarreling and arguing. And even worse, complaining and murmuring in a church can lead to division. It's a sad thing. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthian church about complaining, and he actually said it could lead to destruction. Do you often find yourself complaining about situations and events in your life? You're going to get to see today with Pastor Dave that looking at the negative in your life does you no good. All it leads to is quarreling with other believers, not being content with where you are, and it hinders your relationship with God. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 6 as he begins his message, Do Not Murmur. We are in chapter 6, so if you would turn into your Bibles to Gospel of John chapter 6. So I really wanted to do this entire section all the way from 41 to 59, but those of you that have been around know me better, that I have trouble with getting through a lot of verses sometimes because there's so much things that the Lord wants to speak to us. And I didn't think the Lord was going to speak to me about this particular topic. And as I was studying it, I basically said, Lord, I don't want to offend anyone and I don't want anybody in the congregation to think that I'm singling them out and putting them out and talking about this topic. And the Lord made it quite clear to me that he wasn't worried about what everybody else was doing. He was speaking to me about this topic. So, okay. Um, This topic went through me first. So um, we're in verses 41 through 43. 41 through 43 in the gospel of John chapter 6. I'll read aloud. If you want to follow along silently, please. Verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then, he says, I have come down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. So there was this guy and All he wanted to do his entire life was to be a monk. That's all he wanted to be. His lifelong dream was to be a monk. So one day he went down to the monastery and he sat before the head monk and he said, what do I need to do to join up? It's been my lifelong dream to be a monk. I want to be a monk. I want to be one of you. The head monk looked at him and said, well, you know, What you're asking for is very extreme. It's very difficult to be a monk. It might be even more difficult than you think because in this monastery, monks are only allowed to say two words every year. Two words. The man said, that does sound extreme, but you know, it's been a lifelong dream for me, so I want to try it. So they escorted him to his room, and there he sat, 12 months, total silence. 
Never said a word. At the end of the first year, he was escorted down to the head monk's office and he sat there. And the head monk looked at him and said, you can say your two words, food's bad. He was escorted back to his room where he stayed for another 12 months in total silence. At the end of those 12 months, they came and they escorted him down to the head monk's office and he sat there and the head monk said, you may say your two words, bed's hard. Got up and escorted him back. 12 more months of silence. 12 more months in total silence. The end came, they escorted him back to the head monk's office. He sat down, the head monk said, well, he said, I quit. <laughs> the monk looked at him and said, it's not a surprise, you've been complaining since you've been here. <laughs> so I guess I have to ask the question, are you a complainer? Do you complain? The Greek word that is used in our text this morning is memsimoris, memsimoris. It means to be discontented. It actually carries the connotation of a whiner. Unfortunately, this type of behavior is quite common and very acceptable in our present day. I mean, after all, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? That's what it says. Or maybe you're a murmurer. Maybe you're one who murmurs. And although the word murmur is very similar to complain, it carries the connotation of being discontent, but also of grumbling. The Greek word used in our text is konguzo, meaning to mutter in a low voice. Now, how many of you, when you were growing up, when your mom said, you better make your bed, young man, you better make your bed, young lady, did you walk away going, that's murmuring, that's murmuring. And although you didn't really want the person to hear you, if they heard you, they said, what did you say? And your retort was, oh, nothing. We've become a nation of complainers and murmurers. Why? Well, for one thing, in this nation, we think we have the right to complain. We think we have the right to complain. And some of us take it one step further. We think we have an obligation to complain. But sadly, complaining and murmuring can lead to quarreling and arguing. And even worse, Complaining and murmuring in a church can lead to division. It's a sad thing. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthian church about complaining. And he actually said it could lead to destruction. In his first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 10, in verses 9 and 10, he says this. Well, let's start in number 8. Nor let us commit sexual morality as some of them did, and in one day 33,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And in these verses, Paul is obviously speaking about the Israelites in the wilderness. He's speaking about the Israelites in the wilderness. And in Exodus 17, we see that they complained and they murmured against Moses. The people focuses their complaint on Moses' leadership. He was responsible, they thought, for bringing them to where they were. And they were blaming him because they didn't have any water. They were blaming him because they had nothing to drink. Before you chastise the Israelites, think back when the last time you had a problem of some sort. Did you look for somebody to blame? 
Sometimes it's easier to blame someone else than take the responsibility for yourself. I mean, in this situation, Israel could have thought this. Hmm, we're in a desert. Hmm, desert's a dry place. Hmm, maybe that's why we can't find water. But no, they didn't do that. The Israelites instead thought about Egypt. Things weren't so bad in Egypt. What was so bad about that? After all, we had leeks and onions to eat, right? Things weren't so bad. They seemed to forget that while they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They were working hard labor. They were being beaten and killed by their taskmasters. But now they were free and they were blessed by God. A cloud protected them from the heat of the sun by day. A fire warmed them by night. Their clothing and their shoes never wore out. God was continually blessing them. For us, Egypt always represents sin. It always represents the old life. We too often who have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross often complain about what is happening in our lives. Sometimes we too long for the old gang. We miss the old parties. We miss the fun we used to have. We blame God because things aren't working out. God's fault things aren't working out. We think it might be better back in the world. Have we forgotten the loneliness? Have we forgotten the despair? Have we forgotten the emptiness and the pain during those days? Have we somehow glossed them over because we're, we might be going through a hard time? Because we might be having some difficulties? Instead, we complain. It's your fault, God. Your fault, I'm here. You did this to me. When the Israelites were complaining, and when they were murmuring against Moses, they really weren't murmuring against Moses. They were murmuring against God. Likewise, when we too say, you know, I miss the good old days, when we complain about our job, when we complain about our spouse, when we complain about our family or our situations, we're complaining about the Lord. Why? Because the Lord brought you to this place. The Lord has brought you into this place just like he led Israel into the wilderness. I'm a child of God. And through the Holy Spirit, I'm now being directed, I'm being guided, I'm being taught, I'm being strengthened, and I'm being molded. He is refining me and preparing me for heaven. He's shaping me into his image according to the scriptures. And dare I complain against him? Dare I complain against the work he's doing? For what kind of work is he doing? Well, according to the verse that we keep knocking around in Philippians 1.6, he's doing a good work. He who began the good work in you. He's doing a good work. Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 14, he says this, do all things without complaining and murmuring. Simple sentence. Do all things without complaining and murmuring. That's the old King James. But in the new King James, it says complaining and disputing. Doesn't Paul realize who we are? I mean, doesn't he understand that we live in America? And we were born to complain? We were born to complain. Somebody once said, it's not the things I don't understand about the Bible that trouble me, but it's the things I do understand about the Bible that troubles me. I understand this scripture. Work without complaining. Serve without complaining. Give without complaining. Go out and witness without complaining. I understand this, but something about this troubles me. You know why? Because sometimes regularly I complain. Sometimes regularly I'm a complainer. I'm a whiner. Yet the truth of the matter is, when you think about it, 
we have very little to complain about. We have very, very little to complain about. And the stuff we complain about, not worth it. Just think how much time it takes out of your day complaining about something. It takes a submitted mind to Jesus Christ to not murmur or make excuses. We must be submitted to him. Israel had a real problem with murmuring. They saw all that God accomplished. They saw everything that he did for them. From all of the ten plagues to bringing them out of Egypt with all this booty. I mean, they took all this stuff with them, gold and everything you can think of with them. As I said, cloud by day, fire by night, manna that fell from heaven, quail when they complained about the manna, water out of a rock. He gave them everything they needed constantly. But yet they complained when things didn't go their way. Are we any different? Many of us have seen the mighty things of God, even in our own lives. Many of us have seen the mighty things that God has done in our own lives, and yet we have a tendency to complain. But God hears your complaints, and he hears your murmurings. So when you want to complain, remember, you're not complaining to something. You're complaining to someone. You're complaining before God. Can you imagine how different our lives would be if we really believed that the trials that are befalling us, the trials that come our way and loom over us were beneficial to us? Can you imagine if we had that mindset and we looked in there, how little complaining we would do if we realized that this is for my good and somehow it's going to work together for good because that's what God's word says so? If we applied God's word and the problem with murmuring, and Paul told the Corinthians this, it leads to death. It leads to death. Remember, how many of the Israelites made it to the promised land? Two. Two out of several million. Two. They all died in the wilderness. Paul tells us that these things happen for a reason. These things happen for a reason. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians, he says these words. Now all these things happen to them, the Israelites, as examples and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Folks, we're at the end of the ages. We talked about this on Wednesday night. We say this a lot. The time and the dispensation of grace is fast closing. We're at the end. The more we study scripture, the more we read God's word, the more we come to realize that God is so powerful and he has powerfully provided for not only Israel, but for us. And we all can give up testimonies of even what God has done in our life this year. And that's what we're going to do the 22nd, November 22nd, on a Wednesday night. We're going to tell each other in front of everybody what God has done for us this year and how we're so thankful of what he has done for us this year. Paul's saying, don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. This is an example. This is an example to us. Look for the lesson and then apply it to your life. As we look at our scriptures for today, didn't think I'd get there, did you? As we look for our scriptures to today, not much has changed in the mind of Israel. Look at 41. The Jews then complained about him, Jesus, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Israel is still complaining and they're still murmuring. 
The Jews took exception to Jesus' claim that he came down from heaven, that he was the bread of life. And just like people did in the wilderness to Moses, they complained. They complained against Jesus' claim that he came from heaven. This claim disturbed the religious leaders. It disturbed them greatly. Why? Because it was a claim of deity. It was a claim of deity. Five times Jesus uses the phrase, came down from heaven, and they still would not believe. They still wouldn't accept him as their Messiah. They saw the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. They saw the miracles. They saw all the things that Jesus did. Remember, John didn't tell us everything that happened, but we have to go back to the other gospels to find out all the things that happened. Much time has passed in between these. Jesus has done miraculous works everywhere he went. Healed the lame, healed the sick, made the blind see, cast out demons. He's done all these things, and they've seen these things, but yet they still wouldn't believe. What's extremely interesting to me is that there are still groups in America today, religious groups, who have a problem with the deity of Christ. They have a problem with the deity of Christ, and they'll argue with you that Christ was someone who was created by God. He's a created being. He wasn't God. Although agree that he was the son of God, but they won't agree that he was God incarnate. They won't agree on the Trinity. And they'll argue with you about that. They don't believe. Why didn't the religious leaders believe in Jesus? Well, one of the reasons they didn't believe in him because they thought they knew who he was. They thought they knew him. Look at 42. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, who father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? They're questioning his heritage. They're questioning whether he was born of a virgin. They're questioning whether he was born of a Holy Spirit. They're questioning, how can you say you've come down from heaven? We know your mom and dad. What are you, crazy? How can you do this? We know you from Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus from Bethlehem. We know you. We know this. Now, Jesus was the legal son of Joseph. He was the legal son of Joseph, but he was not Joseph's natural son. And it takes us back to something else that many people argue about these days and believe. The virgin birth. We're coming up to a time when this will be assailed and assaulted all day long from now until the 26th of December. They will assail the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. They will attack this fact and expect you to believe it. Why? Because they're caught in a religious box. If these people had investigated the matter, if they truly believed the scriptures that God had written, if they truly believed all the prophets, all the law of Moses, if they truly went in there, they would have seen Jesus. They would have seen him. Remember what Jesus did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? After the resurrection, it says, beginning with Moses, he went all the way through the Old Testament, showing them where he appeared. But they refused to believe. The fact of the matter was, they didn't care where Jesus was from. They really didn't care what from but they were sure he wasn't from heaven. That they knew. What's interesting here is we don't see a correction from Jesus. We don't see Jesus correcting them. We don't see Jesus defending himself. Why? Because the real issue isn't where he was born. The real issue is, did he come from heaven or not? Did he come down from heaven? Jesus didn't ask you to believe where I was born. He asked you to believe that I've come from heaven. 
When we believe that he came from heaven, we believe that he, where he was born and who he was his father. We believe all that. Their thinking was wrong. They murmured against the doctrine of Jesus Christ. They weren't thinking spiritually. Their thinking was wrong. They wouldn't receive Jesus into themselves. But even worse, they were angry at others who did. That's travesty, folks. They wouldn't let and believe Jesus was the Son of God. They wouldn't believe that Jesus came from heaven. And then they got angry and railed at and even persecuted those that did. And this happens when complaining becomes murmuring. When we murmur, we grumble. And for some reason, when we're grumbling, we're always looking for somebody to grumble with us. Grumbling loves company. Let's all grumble together. And when we're grumbling with somebody, we can commiserate one to another. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, we start to grumble. We long for a person to see it the way we see it. We long for that. Now we have someone to commiserate with. And grumblings grow. Comparing becomes vocal. And soon small groups disperse. And they have a better plan. They have a better idea. Small groups disperse. And then you have discontentment and division among the body of Christ. Grumbling is dangerous. Because you're grumbling against God. In verse 43, Christ overhears their grumblings. He overhears their secret whispers. You know, it's funny because... The disciples never could get away with anything. He'd be walking 30 feet ahead of them, and they could be having a conversation about who's the greatest, and he would turn around and go, why are you talking about who's the greatest? They could never get away with anything when he around Jesus. In verse 43, Jesus says, murmur not among yourselves. In other words, don't lay your complaints on each other. Don't gather around looking for people to come. Why? I'll tell you one reason. Murmuring and complaining hinders faith. Murmuring and complaining hinders one's faith because complaining has a root. And the root of these Jews complaining, the root of these Jews murmuring, the root of our complaining and our uh, murmuring is unbelief. When we're in a place, a bad place that we think it is, we don't think God can handle it, so we murmur and we grumble. You hear that all over. When something bad happens, where was God? Where was God in the midst of all this? How come he didn't show up? If he was a good God, he'd have never let this happen. And you hear people grumbling all over. It's sad when believers do it. These religious leaders didn't believe Jesus' words to be true. In order for the words to be true, he would have to be God. And they couldn't take that because he was Joseph's son. Once again, physically, not spiritually. They're not thinking with the spiritual eyes. But the Apostle John wrote about this early on. He wrote about this early on in John 1.11. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus said, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel, my own. He was the promised Messiah, but they didn't receive him because they didn't believe in him. They're eventually going to say, we have no king but Caesar. And they're going to say, let not this man rule over us. They're making a choice here. And because they say this, Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled. He was despised and rejected of men. The Jews murmured and complained all the way to the cross. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. But the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start 
So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.